Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Monday, January 13th, the morning after. The Canucks have won two in a row over the weekend. First, a morning game in Buffalo. Yes, a rare game in the morning that the Canucks actually won. They take a 6-3 victory over the Sabres and then turn around and head to Minnesota and beat the Wild by a 4-1 score as well. So this nightmare road trip that began terribly in Florida is nearly salvaged. We'll see if they can finish above 500 with a win tomorrow in Winnipeg against the Jets. A very important game in terms of teams you are competing against in the standings for a Western Conference playoff spot, especially in the wild card. I uh, do want to mention, of course, this is your, you may have noticed, you probably have noticed <laughs> uh, that uh, uh, the show has just been absent for the last month. It is, in fact, exactly one month since I last released an episode. Took a little time uh, over the Christmas break. I was planning to take a break around Christmas and New Year's anyways, but I wound up working a ton uh, on Sportsnet 650 as a fill-in producer on the uh, the program with Andrew Walker and Sadi Arshaw and Bick Nazar. Uh, in the week before, I was planning to do that anyways. I just kind of got caught up with too much work there, and then... Uh, um, uh, came down with bronchitis, which you can probably still hear I'm fighting on some level, uh, before, uh, or, or immediately as I was planning to come back, I got a terrible illness, could barely breathe. When I do breathe, it sounds like I have an accordion living inside of me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's not been great lately. Um, so... <laughs> It took a little time to take care of myself. I hope you can forgive that, but I'm back ready to dive into a new year, a new decade of Canucks hockey, and excited to uh, continue to break down this team on a daily basis the rest of the way here, uh, especially, uh, you know, some exciting stuff happened while I was away. We got our All-Star uh, announcements. First, of course, Elias Patterson becoming a two-time All-Star. I think we all expected that, but in lieu or in light of uh, injury, actually, Looked like it was going to be because of an injury to uh, Kemper. In fact, it turned out to be because uh, Marc-Andre Fleury just passed on the All-Star game altogether. Jacob Markstrom is now representing the Pacific as the goaltender in the All-Star game there. And Quinn Hughes wins the last man in vote. So the Canucks have not won not two, but three All-Stars at each position as well. A sign of a balanced team, or at least a team getting uh, stellar performances right across the board from at one player per position anyways. Uh, yeah, so that that's good, obviously. There's other stuff, too. You know what? I'm going to dive right into today's episode. It's a long one. It doesn't exactly deal with uh, this past weekend's games. It tries to catch up on trends and everything that's been going on in the month that I have been away. Uh, if you missed me, I'm sorry about that. I hope you're excited that I am back here. I am excited to be back here doing this again. And uh, joined... By five-time guest, Jackson McDonald. Well, let's just hear it. Let's get right to it. Here's Jackson McDonald, my guest today, once again on Locked on Canucks. Big return show today, which I thought I might, uh, you know, just go alone and try to provide a a recap of what's happened in the last month by myself. But no, the more I thought about what's gone on, the more I thought, 
one gentleman that I know, I think has been right about more things than not over the course of this season so far. So joining me today to break them all down, making his record, I believe now fifth appearance on the program, really setting some distance between himself and the rest of the pack as far as the Locked On Canucks leaderboard is concerned. It's the managing editor of Canucks Army, Jackson McDonald, back again. Jackson, welcome back to Locked On Canucks. Uh, it's good to be back. You're the you're the only person who will let me make repeat appearances, so I uh, I appreciate it. Well, I don't, I don't know what that says about you or me, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> I'm happy to have you Nothing here. Nothing good, I'm sure. Look, uh, Jackson, since I've last recorded, we're going back to mid December, uh, and look, the, I think the key things that have happened in that stretch are. They lost three games in a row and looked very bad in doing so. And a lot of people were very concerned about what that might mean about the team going forward. And then they won seven games in a row and looked good at times, okay at others, like they were getting away with it a little bit here and there. And people felt very optimistic about what that might mean for the team going forward. And then they lost two games in a row and looked horrendous in doing so and suddenly people felt very concerned again and they have since won two games in a row and looked pretty good in doing so as well when you add all that up i think one word springs to mind uh maybe two maybe inconsistent might be one of those words as well but an up and down team a team that is both good and bad on any given night i think is fair to be called a mediocre team and the further we get away from the controversy surrounding the article that you wrote about that uh, you know a couple months ago now uh, the more ridiculous it becomes because you know <laughs> I don't know how else to describe the last month for this team when you look at the ups and downs that they've had really well yeah and I think the the what melted so many people's brains is that there are about 10 other teams in the league that you can say that about the the last time I checked, and I haven't I haven't taken a, a good look uh, in a few hours, but the last time I checked, the Canucks were like uh, two points out of first and three points out of out of the playoffs. You know, like three points <laughs> out of 18th or whatever. Um, so really, you know, pretty much every team between 10 and 20 is really in this mushy middle where one day they could be second maybe even vying for first in their division and then the next day they're out of the playoffs so um i really think and it's 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 funny to see the way that people take a giant victory lap anytime they win a game and they're back in a playoff spot and anytime they lose a game and they're out of a playoff spot i they're just a middling team they're just this is where they're going to be all year and they're going to finish the season i can almost guarantee you they are going to finish the season within a two, three point margin of, of being in the playoffs or out of the playoffs. And I mean, that to me says that they're probably going to finish the season in eighth or ninth in the West, but it could easily mean that they, with all, with the tiny bit of separation between the top teams and the middling teams in the West, it, they could very easily finish the season in second in the division, too. I guess we'll see. Yeah, and I, I want to be clear as well. When we say that they're a middling team or when we call them mediocre, like, that's not a bad thing. That is 
the majority of the NHL this season, you know? And if you're not at the tippity top and if you're not at the bippity bottom, then you're right there in the middle. <laughs> And that's mediocre, and that's okay. That's still a significant step forward on what they have been in years previous. It is not this huge negative slight because it feels like, unless you are just so blindly supportive of this team as if they are some brand new perennial powerhouse set to just run the league for years to come, like you're being negative in this market somehow. It's just ridiculous. Well, and wouldn't you say, too, that some, having some caution here is, is really important because they have some pretty serious situations they have to navigate in the next couple of years. And I think, you know, the, the JT Miller acquisition is paying off in spades right now. Um, but with the stuff that they have on the, ri- the horizon, having to re- either re-sign or replace two of their right-handed defenders, Jacob Markstrom... Uh, Jake Rutanen, Adam Gaudet, and then you have contracts for Elias Peterson, Peterson and Quinn Hughes coming up uh, next, the end of next season. Um, you know, I think getting too high on yourself, getting too, um, getting too much of an inflated opinion of how good the team is based on, you know, whether it's their seven game win streak in, um, uh, or in uh, in, Dece- or in December and January, or the uh, the massive uh, losing streak that they have in November that was only matched by your going zero for fourteen on your prediction. Zero for twelve. Zero for twelve. Uh, yeah, zero for twelve. Okay, that's what it was. Sorry. Um, whether it's you know one of those things, it, basically, it would seem to me that you really want to be careful here in these next couple of seasons that you manage everything properly and that you don't get too high or too low because we've seen what happens when a team that you know is kind of on a PDO bender or has a really hot goalie um, suddenly thinks that they've taken that step towards contention and they haven't it almost always results in a wasted year or two or three and I, I just Elias Pettersson is so good Quinn Hughes is so good I don't want and and if if they if the team wastes this core it's going to be a, a tragedy and so it's just it's really important that they navigate these next few years properly and they really don't have as much wiggle room as people say they do y- so yeah, yeah. A, a, a couple things there that I want to jump onto because uh I, to their credit I, I know it drove a ton of people insane in the summer, but we can probably revisit some takes at this point about the Brock Besser contract extension because a lot of people were very upset that they did not give him a long-term big-dollar commitment. And, you know, I, he's he's having a very good season. He's having a fantastic year. I think he's on pace for something like 80 points. And maybe there are still some people who are very upset that he is not on an eight-year deal at, you know, something in the sevens or eights or what have you. But at the same time, there are other people who think that his shot has not looked the same as it did back in his rookie year, which, okay, you know, he cannot shoot at 22% or whatever he shot as a rookie, but the mechanics of it, how much zip it had on it, you know, the the reminiscence of uh, old school Marcus Nasland. You don't see that kind of shot from Besser on a night-to-night basis, which maybe is just a matter of him not having the time and space for it. Regardless, it seems like that they gave him a wait-and-see contract to sort of have a better idea of what he is. 
And I don't think that was the worst move in the end. Now, I wasn't thrilled about it at the time, but as we've gotten into this season, you know, are you going to pay him probably significantly when his three-year deal expires? Yeah, you probably are, but you were probably going to do that this summer anyways. And I would rather know. I would rather be 100% certain about what Brock Besser is as an asset before making that commitment than just kind of blindly going off of, you know, a season and a half of, of strong play as, a, as an entry-level player. Yeah, I don't think uh, we should be giving the Canucks brass a hard time about being cautious. That's my, <laughs> uh, I would like to see a little bit more of that, uh, especially with things like contracts. So that didn't bother me. Um, as far as Besser is concerned, I, it's the whole situation with him is so interesting because by just about every metric possible, including just points, this is going to be his best season by quite a wide margin. Actually, um, his individual goal total is probably going to be slightly lower than what we've seen. But at the same time, you know, I remember telling people two years ago, Brock Bester's not going to shoot at 20% and being told to sit down and shut up, basically, and stop being so negative. Listen, and nerd. Now, well, yeah. Don't and, give me percentages now, right now. In the words of Han Solo, never tell me never the, tell odds. the odds. Yeah. Uh, now, he's, his goal, his, you know, shot, not even his shot, but just his, his shooting percentage, his conversion rate, has tilted ever so slightly in the other direction. And now it's like Besser belongs on the third line, take him off the power play and put Adam Gaudet there. And, um, you know, and then he, and then he has uh, two games like we just saw from him. And all of a sudden it's all, oh, oh, it was silly that anybody was ever worried about it. Well, you were worried about it three games ago. And, what are you talking about? And look, his and, o- his overall game, in, in, no matter what you want to say about his goal-scoring ability relative to what he looked like he was going to be as a goal scorer in his rookie season, his overall game right now is so much better than it was even last year. Like, he has taken huge steps as a hockey player, for sure. Yeah, he's, he's, he's putting forth the, the best two-way uh, performance he's, he's had in his career. And playmaking as well. Good. Yes, and play, and uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. And, and as his playmaking has really stepped up too, he was a very one-dimensional player when he entered the league. Now that one dimension was very good, and, and the exact dimension that that team was missing at the time, which made it seem even more tantalizing. And I actually think that's such a big part of why he's appeared to have taken a step back um, in terms of goal scoring this season is that. They have other goal scorers. Yeah, he's not the only guy who can do these things. It's it, it, So it, it, he used to be the only real shooting threat the Canucks had on their power play, especially in his rookie year. But now they have Elias Pettersson. They have JT Miller's a shooting threat. Uh, it, it, Quinn Hughes is even kind of a shooting threat. Like his, his shot has impressed me this year. It's better than I thought it was going to be. So the offense isn't completely running through him now. And yes, maybe when that happens, he might score three less goals over a full season, but that's what you want. You want that depth. You want people don't understand that there's a limit to, there's a ceiling on how much offense you're going to get out of your team. And that not, every player on the roster can be a 40 goal scorer. It's just not going to happen. There's not enough ice time 
to go around to give every player enough time to amass those kinds of totals or enough opportunities or whatever. So I, I, I thought that the, the, the concerns around Brock Besser were always a little ridiculous and very frustrating because it, it seems like there's these people over on one end who are always just crazily reacting to whatever the nearest piece of stimuli is. And then there's people like myself and other people that are sort of, I don't even like to, to call myself someone in the analytics community. I consider myself more analytics adjacent. I know a lot about it, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, um, I'm not driving any of that conversation. I'm just using what's out there to try to form my own opinion. Yeah, you're not you're not pioneering your own patented system looking to get hired by an NHL no, team. No, no. Your life not. would probably be much better if you were. Oh, and easier. But um, <laughs> my people like myself and and others, other people at Canucks Army and or whatever, are over here kind of always staying in the middle of every conversation, going, "Well, yeah, he's not going to shoot it." 22% or whatever when he's shooting at 22%. And then people say we're negative and then they freak out when he has a bad stretch of games and we're over here saying, yeah, we always said he wasn't going to shoot at 22%. Now you're mad, but he's also not going to shoot at 5% like yeah. he's doing, you know, over this some odd stretch of games or whatever. Like it is just so funny to see, what absolute goldfish brains most people have <laughs> when it comes to, and it's because everything is based around the post game report, but so you got to have the story of the game. And so, you know, it would be boring, frankly, to have a post game report where every night you go, well, this doesn't really matter over the long haul. You got to yeah. be a good story. So I understand, but man, it gets frustrating sometimes. Well, that's the thing that frustrates me, too, is that the, these people who are in the middle, because I, you know, I think part of the fun of a season is changing your mind multiple Absolutely. times, you know, ha- having your belief challenged and sometimes altering that belief and wavering back and forth about whether the team is good or not. That is part of the ride. That is part of the experience of being a fan. You know, you have uh, someone like Elliot Friedman coming on Sportsnet 650 and saying, you know, people need to chill out. The, the, the season is a roller coaster. There are ups and downs, like go with it. At the same time, you don't ride a roller coaster in silence. You scream your head off the entire <laughs> time. True. So if you want to follow that metaphor, part of being on a ride is reacting to it and, you know, reacting in enormous ways and having the time of your life doing that. I think that is a completely healthy and normal thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to turn the show into just I complain about people who are mad at me all the time. <laughs> but um, it's, it's funny that you it's funny that you say that because. I I have this reputation for being Mr. Negative or whatever. And honestly, that's fine because I think that overall a team that's been as bad as the Canucks have been, you know, aside from what you think they are this season, a team that was, that was a genuinely awful for four years. People should be more negative than they are, frankly. They, and they should certainly be more cautious and more, um, and you know, be have the uh, the opinion that the team's front office now needs to earn their trust back, if nothing else. Um, but 
And the, the one thing that I think is so funny is when, you know, the team has a good stretch of games and, you know, I, I'm, I might say a couple things, but I stay quiet. Then they have a stretch of bad games and I might go, well, see, here are a bunch of examples in this bad stretch of games of things that I've said this season or things that I was saying earlier this season. And then people come out of the woodwork and they go, oh, so you you're just you just only appear when the team's playing badly to to rag on them or whatever and then but the but then it's the same people who say um to just let people enjoy things when they're having fun so it puts me in this weird position where i don't know whether to just constantly be shitting on the team even when they're playing well yeah or if i'm supposed to wait and let people enjoy when because i'm enjoying it when they're winning because it's more fun Um, of course Am I supposed so? Am I supposed to just constantly be out there talking shit, or am I supposed to be quiet and wait until there's a downturn and then make my point? I I have no idea. I don't know because, like, my form of negativity was like during that three-game losing skid in mid-December, especially after the Vegas loss. Which the negative reaction to that Vegas loss was not just for that Vegas loss. It was for every Vegas loss because save for the one that they got back a week later as they started on their seven-game winning streak, Vancouver just gets their ass handed to them by the Golden Knights (laughs) every single time, which is frankly unacceptable for an expansion (laughs) franchise to be so much further ahead of the eight ball than this team we are watching in their 50th season. Like, (laughs) there's all sorts of reasons to fully understand why there would be negativity after a game like that. But my form of negativity was to say, how many more games like this do we have to watch before it's acceptable to air the opinion that it might be for the benefit of the team to finish in the lottery range again and get another player. Because like the longer that we have a team that is kind of in the lottery area, whether they are picking you know anywhere between 3rd and 7th or 10th even, let's say, the more the arguments against tanking sort of start to fall apart to me. The people who are like, well, it doesn't even work. You're not even going to, you know, how, how many times have we seen this team lose out down the stretch and they don't even pick in the top five? First of all, you're giving yourself a better shot at picking there. Second of all, the players that they have gotten, even when the lottery doesn't go their way, prove that it doesn't matter if the lottery goes your way. Like, my point is, I love watching Elias Pettersson, and I love watching Quinn Hughes, and wouldn't it be nice to have a third guy like that? Like... Who who can possibly argue against that? But to say that it might be better for the team in the long run to get another player like that and that the only way to get someone like that is to lose, not on purpose, but just to have a team that does what it seems like the Canucks sometimes naturally do, as they did in Florida earlier this week, and that's just play uh, unbelievably terrible hockey that leaves you utterly uninspired as a viewer, you know, uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. That's not negativity. But, uh, you know, that's, that's probably a, a horse that we have uh, beaten a good yeah. many times already. Uh, you did mention, though, Jackson, something that I do want to circle back to, which is that, you know, there is reason for uh, cautiousness, that, that, you know, this core cannot be wasted. And I have compared the experience of watching these young players, this new nucleus that's coming up 
for this team to watching uh, the West Coast Express. And I think there's a lot of people who have that sort of shared sentiment and shared memories as well if you're a fan of a certain age. But if you are a fan of a certain age, like we need to look at what the West Coast Express era actually was. And it is not this you know, fun, great time that we all have warm memories of. It is a cautionary tale that good 100%. things cannot last forever and you cannot abide the same mistakes again and again and again, bringing you down in the exact same way every single season. You only get so many kicks at the can with a certain core and, you know, you cannot just allow a Dan Cloutier to run <laughs> ride shotgun with the group for fucking however many years in a row. Like... There are certain problems with the team that if they are not addressed are not going to just magically solve themselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it also kind of ties into what you were just saying about the, the lottery and about the Canucks acquiring more prospects or whatever. The thing that I really look at, I, I look at the goaltending situation a little bit, although I actually think some of the hemming and hawing about that is... Uh, maybe a little over the top because I think that there's an easier way out of the goalie situation than maybe people think. I, I I keep holding on to the idea that if they really, if they really have a lot of faith in Thatcher Demko um, and they do sign Jacob Markstrom to this big contract that it looks like he's going to get, they could just expose Jacob Markstrom in the expansion draft and under the, understanding that Seattle probably doesn't take him because they don't want to lock up that kind of money. Or you just um, ask them not to take him and give them a yeah, pick. Like give there's... them a pick, yeah, exactly. I, so I, I think I, I do worry about it a little bit, mostly because I just worry that Markstrom is going to make an obscene amount of money and then not be able to keep this up, although I really hope he does keep it up because it's just such a great story. He's like, yeah, he's the best story. Like If he has he's an art, never mind the Vesna. If he hasn't locked up the Masterton at this point, like what are we even totally. doing here? Yeah. Um, anyways, that's a major digression. The thing that I worry the most about is the defense. The reason why I worry about the defense is because I, I and I don't understand why more people aren't talking about this. Why more people aren't thinking about it? They have so they have Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is great. They have Tyler Myers who is already looking a lot more like the Tyler Myers that most people were saying Tyler Myers is yeah. during the offseason. Um, then they have two more right-handed defenders that they have to figure out something to do with. Um, we don't know how that situation is going to play out. And then they have Alex Edler, who is 100 years old and not locked up for very long. So there's really not a lot of um their 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 defense is sort of in turmoil or in transition there's really not of um not a lot of solidity there and the thing that i really worry about here is that chances are they're you know and they either can't keep all those guys or they can't keep them all and then expect them to all play at the level they've played at this season. Yeah, and never mind can't, they shouldn't keep all yeah, of them. Like, it, it, the prudent move is to not retain Chris Tanev, and that's yeah, probably 100%. a difficult decision to come to, but if you are looking ahead to the money that you have to commit to uh, Pedersen, to Quinn Hughes, and just the overall 
age, the average age of a defender on your defense. <laughs> like, sorry, I love Chris Tanev, and Chris Tanev has played very well in any role that they've put him in this year. It's been much uh, better for him this season than last. But, like... We you gotta create a hole for a, a new player to step into the lineup somewhere, and you know, letting him walk just creates a bigger opportunity for someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And so the thing that I worry about is who do they have coming up that's going to replace whether it's Chris Tanev or Troy Stetcher, or and if they don't have anyone coming up, then they put themselves in a position where they end up having to lock up a Chris Tanev for too long and too much money for a guy who is made out of glass and is old. Um, and I say that as someone who loves Chris Tanev. I think Chris Tanev is fantastic. But if you look at their prospects on defense, they have Ole Ulevi, who's a huge question mark and not even a right-handed defender. They uh, have Ole Ulevi has more question marks on him than the Riddler at the moment. <laughs> they, have, uh, they have Jet Wu, who had a fantastic season last year but really has not had a, that really an impressive season at all this year, and then they have you know Brogan Rafferty, Tony Utenin, and don't old. forget J- Jackson. Every every player at the World Juniors just steps seamlessly into the National Hockey yeah. League. That's how it goes every year. Really, I mean, I can't remember what side Brogan Rafferty plays, but basically on on the right hand side, it seems like they have Jet Wu, who's a huge question mark, and then Radio Silence. And they didn't take, they had nine picks in the draft last year and they didn't take a single defenseman. Not one defenseman. I still can't, can't believe that. But I just think that people are underestimating kind of how the, the fact that the team is winning games is sort of masking the fact that how all in they are on the right now and how potentially screwed they are going forward if if they don't manage this like in a really shrewd intelligent way like this isn't just one of those things where they have to go into contract negotiations and free agency next year and not make any huge mistakes it's like they have to go in not make any mistakes and then pull a couple of real wins um out of their hat as well um so you know i i'm I'm happy to see the team winning. It's a lot more fun. I've been wrong about some things too. Adam Goddard has really surprised me this year, but I think for how, for the, the fact that they're capped out and the fact that they traded the first round pick, it's kind of scary that they're only maybe okay. That, that isn't, that to me is not something to be celebrating. It's something to be concerned about. If, you are somebody who tries to look at the long-term, the trends, and not just flipping back and forth, uh, flipping your opinions back and forth, depending on whatever the nearest stimuli is. Yeah, I mean, you and I uh, are, you know, we've had disagreements. Uh, I feel like every time you come on, it's a good chance to uh, check in on our little bet, $50, (laughs) on whether the uh, Canucks are going to make the playoffs uh, either this season or next. I am $50 saying yes. You are $50 saying no. We do not agree on this overall, but the bedrock of your argument, which I have come to take as a pretty solid point, despite the fact that we've had some very heated conversations about this over the last year, uh, is that uh, the defense, yes, there is all kinds of optimism to believe that this team is going to get better 
up front. There is all kinds of optimism to believe that Quinn Hughes is going to get better going forward. There is all kinds of optimism to believe that goaltending is relatively secure going forward. But beyond Quinn Hughes, you're bang on correct. This defense this year is as good as it's going to get, barring some, again, massive changes to the back end. And we're saying this after a summer where they already, quote-unquote, made massive changes to the back end. You know, it's uh, it's it's a big renovation. It's like they they just uh, they knocked down what was there before and they, they added, like, uh, some new foundation, and then they just ran out of money and stopped <laughs> the construction project. Well- yeah, and the the thing that I don't the the thing that I worry about is that I mean, realistically, does it surprise you if next year they roll with the same defense and everything falls apart? No, absolutely no. not. And 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 to get back to the what I was saying before about trust, how regardless of I think regardless of your opinion of whether what the Canucks have been doing has been good, whether they're on the right path, blah, 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 blah. I think as somebody who got into writing, blogging, podcasting, all that about the Canucks, the year Jim Benning took over, it is not unfair to say that the front office needs to needs a couple of years of success, or at least one major year of success, before they earn back my trust. No, yeah, that's I don't absolutely think that's fair at all. No, that's and totally fair. If we want to talk about being distrustful, um, if the Canucks do want to remake their defense, when have the Canucks ever gotten a defenseman right other than drafting Quinn Hughes and signing Troy Stetcher back when he was a um, uh, a college free agent? Well, like, well, I mean, there was. He, all kinds of question marks about him when they brought him in, but uh, you know, obviously seeing Matt Bartkowski just lock down the number three spot on this team—that was a bet that paid off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the it's outside of the amateur department, which everyone I think agrees has been—you know—that's that's been the best thing Jim Benning has done has been remaking the amateur scouting department. Well, and regardless of regardless of whether you want to split hairs about who to um, praise for the Canucks draft picks. It was a major problem and it's not a major problem anymore. And so kudos to Jim Benning, but outside of the amateur department, the, the Canucks record on uh, free agent signings, pro scouting in terms of defensemen has been, is it, is it out of line to say maybe the worst in the league over the period that, this regime has been in charge? Well, it's I, been awful. No, I think it's very fair to call it that, and I think the funniest thing that I've seen uh, in the last couple of weeks here was an infographic that was making the rounds uh, off an AHL broadcast earlier this week because Brogan Rafferty is, I believe, the leading scoring defenseman in the AHL this season. I believe you're correct. Yeah. That's a nice little feather in their cap. But then you, the graphic had the full top five uh, uh, leading scoring defensemen in the AHL this season. And I'm pretty sure four out of the five, if you include Brogan Rafferty, are either current or former Canucks. You know, you had <laughs> very familiar names like Derek Pouliot, I believe, second on that list. Adam Clendenning on that list. Like, it just went on and on am, and on. With- and am I wrong for, for, for thinking, too, that 
you know, I'm pretty sure that Derek Pouliot and Adam Clendenning are almost the same age as Rogue as Brogan Rafferty. Mm, I mean, not that much older if they are. Yeah, you're probably um, right about that. I, I I think like the the good thing is the good news is because the Canucks have been better this year, the there is not an absurd amount of pressure and hype uh, on Brogan Rafferty. Thankfully, I think people kind of either don't really know about him or don't have super high expectations because they're just not paying attention to prospects the way they were when the team was genuinely awful. Or they just heard um, the name Brogan and were like, ugh, no thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's a name with a murderer, by the way. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 that's a, a guy who, you know, he, he might be something, but I don't think he – AHL scoring is always a tough a tough one when – it's not a really, really young player because, you know, if you look at the players that are driving the Utica Comets offense right now, it's Reed Boucher, it's Sven Berchi, it's Nikolai Goldobin, three guys who right, rightly or wrongly couldn't make the Canucks roster. So, uh, yeah, I, I would I would caution people against getting too excited about Brogan Rafferty, although expectations actually seem to be reasonable for once, which is nice. Well, Jackson, I told you that you and I would not be doing another uh, marathon episode today, though you and I could talk forever as we uh, often want to do. I do want to wrap up, though, because uh, with one last question, you and I both get tagged as being uh, negative uh, gentlemen uh, sometimes, and I don't always feel that that label is uh, proper or correct, but let's wrap up with some positivity to really prove the haters wrong here and let's do it by being positive about the most surprising person we could possibly have nice things to say about and that's louis erickson who right now you know i said earlier this season might be the forward equivalent uh to what uh, the bulldog used to be and that you would only put uh, him into the lineup on the back end like in one game every two months because he would always be so fired up to play that one game and that was kind of louie it was like oh he's terrible but like you put him in for one game he's gonna be good Two games later, he'll be same old Louie. He's had a sustained run now of close to 10 games where he is playing basically the best hockey that he has played in a Canucks uniform uh, to this point, which is remarkable uh, on its own, but especially in a season where, you know, not even three months ago, we're having off-the-record uh, uh, conversations about, like, don't, don't you worry about it. This career is going to come to an end before you know it. You know, the, everybody's going to be healthy. There's not going to be a spot for him on this roster. And as soon as that happens, you think he's going to go down there and ride the bus in Utica, huh? You think that's going to happen? <laughs> it's not. Forget about it. This contract <laughs> is just going to evaporate. Don't worry about it. Uh, to go from that, like, three months ago to the point where this guy is an integral part of the second line of this team and has been really providing some baseline consistency to Bo Horvat in particular, who has really needed that over the last year and a half. Like, I don't, it can't last, I don't think. Maybe it can, who knows. But like, this is just, it's for someone who has been such a punching bag, and rightfully so. It is really nice to be able to say and feel nice things for Louis Erickson. <laughs> yeah, I would I would agree with that. Louis Erickson, the saga of Louis Erickson has been truly bizarre because his 
everybody knew the drop-off was coming, but nobody expected it to happen so quickly and so dramatically. It's like when Marcus Naslund went to the Rangers. Yeah, absolutely. And the the funny thing about all of this is that, like I said, I'm, I only consider myself analytics adjacent, and sometimes I outright scoff at things that I see because they just do not match up with um, either what I'm seeing or what's bearing out in the results. Um, and one example of that would be that a lot of really smart analytics people try to tell me that Louis Erickson is good or is at least valuable. Um, and I, I think they might actually be correct in a sense, but just in the most frustrating way, because most of Louis Erickson's value is just that when he's on the ice, nothing happens. He's like a $6 million Brendan Gaunt. I was going to say, that's the Brendan Gaunt's defense. Yeah, um, but I, I'm honestly not surprised to see him having success. I mean, I wasn't expecting it either, but for three straight years, I thought, wow, you know, if Louis Erickson just got a shot on the right line, you'd think he'd get lucky enough to finally at least put up 30 or 35 points again. I remember I wrote an article maybe a year ago or so looking at what happened to him and why he wasn't having um, success. And one of the things that I came up with was that um, he was, because he was such a sort of garbage goal expert, um, he, the years that he scored a lot of goals, especially that year that he scored 30 in Boston, he played with players who generated a ton of rebounds. And the problem with him on the Canucks roster for a long time was that they just didn't really have a lot of shooters. Yeah, they brought him in thinking he was a shooter. Which was a huge mistake. Um, and so now I, I wonder if the I wonder if he is maybe a better fit on Bo Horvat's line than we gave credit for, especially because Bo Horvat has really struggled in the two-way department. And for better or worse, that is not an area Louis Erickson has struggled in. He's, his defensive play has been fine the entire time he's been here. His offense just fell off a cliff. So, you know, if he can even just be um, a sort of high-end passenger on that line, somebody who can just kind of be there and pot a couple goals, put up a few assists, keep the line from getting, its, getting caved in at even strength, um, I kind of like it because it opens up some of the team's other offensive forwards to play it uh, on other lines. And I do think that that is the, the model for success in the modern NHL is to make sure you can get scoring from three, if not all four of your lines. And, you know, I don't think it's surprising that <laughs> I hate to say it, but the team that the team has done as well as they have, that that's completely coincided with uh, losing Brandon Sutter for so much of the season. Yeah. Because they're actually getting offense from, hell, all four of their lines now, really. I, you know, Tyler Mott scored a nice goal the other day. Um, I, I think, I don't, there's a spot for Louis Erickson on this team. Unfortunately, he makes the money he makes. But um, yeah, I agree with you. It's been really, it's been really nice to see him play as well as he has, and I love a redemption story. I love nothing more than 
seeing someone who was der- who's just been derided somewhere finally have their day in the sun. So um, I think it's been great. I've I've really enjoyed it actually. Well, two last thoughts before I let you go, and that is, uh, you know, go back to the beginning of the year. The, you know, the the final cuts out of camp. And you got people like you and me and and J.D. Burke getting just roasted by certain media members in this city for making a big deal out of cutting a Nikolai Goldobin and Sven Berchi and, you know, all of these guys who were looking like your depth scoring options. And it wasn't because I love Sven Berchi specifically. And it's not because I love Nikolai Goldobin specifically. It's because I love the idea of the Canucks having three scoring lines. That was always the argument. And now there's not a single person in this city that would disagree with that being the exact approach that this team needs. <laughs> yeah. There's not one single person who would argue that at this point, except maybe Jim Benning, who wants to say, well, I, I need to see what our team looks like fully With healthy. And Michael which is so it, yeah. absurd because it's like all these good things that have happened over the course of this year, you know, getting to watch the blossoming of Adam Gaudet has only happened because... Brandon Sutter is not here. Like, this team, under the Benning regime in particular, has lucked into so many things because of injuries to guys yeah. who, frankly, are not good. And for, for them to just turn around and be like, well, we need those bad guys back to see how good we really are. It's like, man, what are you, what are you watching on a night-to-night basis? Because I have yeah. a hard time believing it's your own team. Yeah, I... I I completely agree, and that's why it's so hard to give them too much credit because so much of this really does just seem like dumb luck. Anyway, you know, at least uh, who would have thought, if I'm patting myself on the back for takes at the beginning of the year, I have to say who would have thought that the key to three scoring lines would be playing Louis Erickson in the top six? (laughs) Yeah, certainly not I, but neither, neither would anyone else. So stop taking victory laps. Yeah, sure. Ah, well, you know what? Tanner Pearson, he might be the glue there. He like his shooting might be the reason why uh Louie has all these rebounds to hop on. Anyways, that's one final thought there. Uh Jackson, thanks for doing this, man. I still Very kept welcome. you another fifteen minutes longer than I told you what I would, but that's all right. I think you knew that was gonna happen. I did, yes. I knew that if I said let's make it quick it wouldn't go an hour it would only go 45 minutes so okay well uh (laughs) people can find you at canucks army and roxy fever and all those good places that's right don't don't find me stop yelling at me (laughs) never never reply yes that's right never tweet Uh, good advice Thanks, Ben. There he is, Jackson McDonald. A longer episode today, but we had some catching up to do. A lot has happened since uh, I last spoke on this podcast, of course. If you like this podcast, you can head on over to the uh, Apple Podcasts app and leave us a rating and a review to give us a little boost in the algorithms or just give me a nice thing to read about myself if you happen to enjoy this program. And uh, I will be back again tomorrow to do it all over again and hopefully line up some more fun guests, maybe some voices that you haven't heard on this show before as the week progresses. But uh, until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.